There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen, and oxygen, and nitrogen, and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium, and iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Well, welcome aboard. All There's kinds of neat stuff lined up for you here today. Uh, I'm Joe Schwartz. I direct McGill's Office for Science and Society. And uh, I uh, hope to inform and entertain you Sunday afternoons here. And as you know, we normally start out by posing a couple of questions to kind of get your brain limbered up. So let's start with that. South Africa's Virgonoid Low Wine Estate features a wine called Runner Duck. The wine has a real connection to ducks. What is that connection? If you know the answer to that question, 514-790-0800, or you can text your answers to 514-800. And uh, second question, gluten in flour is needed to give structure and stickiness to dough in baking. So if you're going to bake with gluten-free flour, you need something in the flour to replace the gluten, or you can't possibly make a baked product. What is used to replace gluten in gluten-free flour? So again, if you know the answer, 514-790-0800, or text me at 514-800. Oh, last week we talked about Gwyneth Paltrow and her nonsense, both in terms of her diet and uh, kind of trying to rectify her health problems by shooting some ozone up her rectum. Total nonsense. Uh, why on earth would we be taking health advice from Gwyneth Paltrow? So to, file, uh, to kind of uh, follow up on that, why on earth would we be taking any kind of health advice from Kourtney Kardashian? who also has no background in science and certainly not in medicine. And yet she has come out with a product, $30 bottle of vagina gummies uh, that uh, promise to give that part of the anatomy uh, a sweet aroma. And... Uh, Obviously, uh, many experts, gynecologists, have, have jumped on this right away, saying that this product, which basically contains a type of, of bacterium, uh, I guess we would call it a, a, a probiotic called Bacillus coagulans, uh, that uh, supposedly uh, lends a, a sort of an attractive scent to the organ in, uh, in question. And according to her website, it supports vaginal health, freshness, and odor. Well, uh, there is no uh, evidence for this. This strain of bacteria uh, has not been properly researched in terms of uh, vaginal health. It is not known to do, uh, to do anything at all. And of course, uh, many uh, people have attacked this for kind of suggesting that that uh, women are somehow not clean and need health in that area. Really, really, kind of of of, uh, of ridiculous. Uh, 
Uh, and yet, uh, of course, the thing undoubtedly is um, is selling uh, without any scientific evidence that it does any good uh, at all. Uh, so this really, I think, belongs into the nonsense category. And again, uh, you know, why listen to a Kardashian for health advice? <clears throat> the only thing I must say, I give her some slight bit of credit for <laughs> coming up for the name of this product. It's called Purr. That's kind of clever, if I must say. Uh, I think we do have a caller on the line, Anthony. Good afternoon, Dr. Joe. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Hi. Hi. Uh, I, I, I have three small questions. I'll get to them right away. The first one okay. is, during the Jewish holidays, Passover, before when people are, I guess, more religious, uh, I'm not, but anyways, whatever it is, they buy products that are special for Passover, of kosher. Now, yes. now this, in milk, I'm just giving an example in milk, they can't drink vitamin A palmitate, and there's another there's another there's another vitamin A that I've seen. Yes, uh, that's not it's not a Passover product. It's in it's in like in soy maybe soy milk or whatever soy drink. Well, soy milk milk free or almond whatever it is. It's called vitamin A acetate. Could that replace the vitamin A palmitate? It could. The reason that they, you can't use the palmitate is because it is made with palm oil, and that is prohibited. That was one of the prohibited oils on Passover. But, but the acetate... Uh, acetate comes from acetic acid, so that's okay. That's okay. Okay. And then mm. another thing, I have frozen vegetables. I, I don't buy them often. Now, when you, when you cook them, it says, put them into the pot, frozen. I, I usually wash... Well, I never buy much frozen vegetables. I usually wash my vegetables. Yeah. They're not frozen. But this, you didn't say to wash them. Do, could, I, could I let them defrost and wash them? Better the frozen? I don't think you need. I don't think you need to wash them because they are washed when they are processed. Before they are frozen, they're washed. Because it doesn't say that, but but they are. It doesn't say that on the package. Oh yeah, yeah. They're they're washed before they're frozen. Yes. So you don't have to wash them. You can just put them in the pot, and you, you, there won't be no right. chemicals, nothing. Right. Oh, well, there won't be anything harmful like when you when you have to, when you buy them from the store. No, there won't be anything harmful. Okay. Okay. And, next uh, question. And there's one more question. I, I like there's a, so there's a, some some uh, some drinks with milk. You know milk. They have I artificial know milk. sweeteners. I'm aware. You know artificial sweeteners like sucralose. Yes. Like chocolate milk. Usually I, I, yes. it's sugar, but the one I buy has artificial sweetener. Now there's nothing dangerous about drinking. I heard it's not so great to have art, to drink artificial sweeteners. It's sweeter. Look, I, I mean artificial sweeteners have passed all the muster that is required by Health Canada and by FDA in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is, however, literature about uh, some issues with all of these sweeteners, uh, mostly uh, the sense that they may alter the balance of bacteria in our gut. Now, you see, when all of these sweeteners were approved, that was never even a question because nobody even knew about the relationship of the microbiome to, to health. So... Uh, you know, there there are some outstanding questions there. Uh, I would say that that uh, if you're using it, you know, on a semi-regular basis, it's not an issue. But some people overly consume artificial sweeteners, and then I think it can become uh, an issue. But if you're, you know, you're drinking the occasional chocolate milk with uh, artificial sweetener, I, that I wouldn't worry about. Okay.
All right. In 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 the U.S., actually, there's a big uh, big commotion now about uh, the chocolate milk that is being served in uh, in schools uh, because uh, the chocolate milk is sweetened with a lot of sugar, and they're trying to obviously encourage kids to cut back on on sugar. And uh, you know, the question is, you know, uh, all of that chocolate milk that is being consumed in schools, which is a great source of, of sugar, but obviously the dairy industry is fighting tooth and nail to make sure that the chocolate milk does stay in the school um, cafeterias. <clears throat> There's even, you know, uh, concern uh, <laughs> battles over whether or not milk should be sold in uh, cafeterias because they're there are people to, who uh, say that, no, th there's no need to encourage students to drink so much milk. Oh, there, there are all kinds of battles that are, uh, you know, going on uh, out there. Okay, let me, before we take a, a break to check traffic, let me just repeat my questions. Yes, in South Africa, uh, a wine uh, winery called Virgengrode Low, it features a wine called Runner Duck. And this wine has a real connection to ducks. What is that connection? And the other question I asked is about what replaces gluten in gluten-free flour so that you can bake with it. If you know the answer, you give us a call at 514-790-0800. Obviously, you can give us a call to ask whatever other scientific question you may have. And you can uh, also text your answers to 514-800. Hey, we are back. And uh, we got callers on the line, Joanne. Yes, hello. Hi. Uh, I'm oh. calling for the answer to the gluten-free flour. Okay, so let's would, have it. Would, would the ingredients be Zangtam gum? Yes, it is. It is. Did you really know that or you Googled it? Tell me the truth. No, no. I know that because I'm celiac. <laughs> oh, okay. Very good. Very good. Yes, uh, that's exactly right, you know, because you need gluten in, in flour to give it the structure and stickiness that you need for the dough in, in baking. Uh, and uh, xanthan gum, which actually was produced relatively recently, only in the 1960s. And um, it is made by taking simple sugars like glucose or sucrose and, and fermenting them with a type of bacteria Xanthomonas campestris, that's where the name xanthan gum comes from. And when you uh, combine the bacteria with these sugars, they form a molecule, a polysaccharide, and it's a type of soluble fiber, and it's a very effective thickener, stabilizer, and it works very well to give structure to dough instead of gluten. It's also used in various sauces and salad dressings and, and uh, ice cream, for example, to give a thickness. Also in toothpaste and in shampoos and in wallpaper glue. But just because it is used in wallpaper glue does not mean that there's any problem in using it in, in, in food. In fact, it isn't digested. It goes straight through. It's not a source of, of, uh, of calories. And uh, it can also act as a prebiotic, mean, meaning that it can uh, serve as food for bacteria in our gut. So in the amounts that are used as a food additive, there's no problem with xanthan gum. So have you actually baked with gluten-free flour? 
Oh, I think we lost Joanne there. All no, right. No, no, I'm here. Lost... I'm here. Oh, you're there. You're there. Oh, okay. Yeah, have there. you ever? I... <laughs> yes, okay. I have Did baked you... with uh, gluten. You baked with it? Yes. And it, it works, correct? It works. It does. It really does. <laughs> All right. Very good. Okay. And now everyone out there knows that xanthan gum is a replacement for gluten in flour. Thanks very much. Thank you. Okay. Then let's, uh, let's go to Jerry, who may have another an, an answer to my other question. Jerry. Hi, Dr. Joe. How are you? Hi. Good. So I just spent the last 10 years in Edmonton, Alberta, I'm from Cote St. Luke. I was helping addicts. I'm an addictions therapist. But a very good friend of mine and I are having quite the discussion about the age of the universe. And he is of the faith that follows more New Testament, and I am of the faith that follows Old Testament. And I hope to come back again. I used to go see you every month at the Cote St. Luke Library, Cote St. Luke City Hall. I learned so much from you. And I'm sure you remember, but about 13 years ago, I asked you a question. Now, my buddy Paul is actually listening online in Edmonton as we speak. Okay? Okay. I I asked you about 13 years ago about the age of the universe. So in my belief system, the universe is about 6,000 years old. And in his, in in, in, when I asked you about... um, uh, carbon dating. And I asked yeah. you, how do you explain to people of our faith that ask about the age of the universe? You had an interesting answer. You said, I just don't go there. But you explained <laughs> well, carbon dating. And to me, it seems a lovely story that the earth is about 6,000 years old or the universe was created about 6,000 years, but it makes no logical scientific sense. No, it doesn't. The universe is believed to be 13.7 billion years old. And yeah, I... there are all, all kinds of you know, ways that that is documented, including uh, radiocarbon dating. I mean, radiocarbon dating uh, works on the principle that uh, all of the carbon that exists in the universe uh, is not of the same variety. Most of the carbon is known as carbon-12, meaning that it has six protons and six neutrons in its nucleus. But a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of um, all the carbon atoms out there are carbon-14, meaning uh, six protons in the nucleus and eight neutrons. And that carbon is radioactive, meaning that uh, it slowly degrades and changes into nitrogen. And it takes about 5,700 or so years for half of a sample of carbon-14 to change into, into nitrogen. Now, as long as something is alive, whether it's an animal or a plant, it is taking in carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So the, the level of carbon-14 is constant. However, once a plant dies or an animal dies, it no longer takes in any carbon. And therefore, all the carbon in its body, uh, start, the carbon-14 in its body starts to decay. And we know that it goes to half every 5,700 years. And we know what it is in a living system. So based on that, you can calculate how many half-lives have passed. And you can age fossils and, and you know bones in this this fashion. So we <clears throat> we certainly know 
that the universe is more than 6,000 years old. Now, people, of course, who believe that it is only 6,000 years old uh, are doing that based on faith, not on science. Right. And when, you know, and when you're talking about science versus faith, you're, you're not even on the same playing field. So there's right. really no I, argument I, to be had. And this is about 12, 13 years ago when I posed this question yeah. to you. I remember you telling me that even back then, 13 years ago, with supercomputers, that carbon dating is really spot on. We're really close to very accurate timing. Yes, I mean, there, there's, you know, in the scientific community, there is really just no question about the, the age of the universe, that it is not 6,000 years old. Of course, you have some uh, creationists uh, who believe that it is 6,000 years old. And when you talk about carbon dating and to say that, you know, there are fossils which, you know, are obviously more than 6,000 years old, uh, their argument is that, uh, yes, but those were also created 6,000 years ago and they look like they're older. So, you know, I mean, if, if God is omnipotent and create anything that, that he or she wants, he can create fossils that look like they are older than what they really are. Now, yeah. why that would, you know, why that would be so, obviously, you know, there's no rational uh, argument about uh, that. But, you know, the comeback usually is, well, we, we don't know how the mysterious ways in which deity works. So... Uh, you know, we're uh, it, it's sort of a, a pointless argument because I said we're we're just not playing on the same playing field. Right. So know? what I explained was I'm not sure about carbon dating, but I, I'm more sure about the speed of light. And we've measured stars that are billions <laughs> of years, light years absolutely. away from us or millions. Ab absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes. So. Uh, I mean, you are, of course, right about the age of the universe, but I, I don't know if you will ever win the argument uh, with your friend because uh, one is faith-based and one is science-based and the two don't mix. Okay? I, I have eaten duck once and it was so dripping with fat, I found it disgusting. So is it something to do with the fat content uh, the, uh, of the duck that, that is, render down no. that goes into the wine no no nothing like that it's not the it, there's no duck fat in the wine okay so we'll still wait for a correct answer to to that uh, the wine is called runner duck that that uh, winery sells and the question is what is the connection between the runner duck wine and the real wine or the real ducks uh you know what's the connection because there's a connection in that winery between real ducks and the wine okay uh you're listening to the dr joe show we're going to check ctv news and after that we're going to talk about cholent so all of you who are interested in cooking and food gather around because we want to talk about an ancient jewish food all right i did get a correct answer texted in to my question about south africa's Virgenold low wine estates runner duck wine and i wanted to know what was the real connection to ducks well there are hundreds of what are known as indian runner ducks not rubber ducks runner ducks 
and they waddle through the fields, scarfing down snails and insects. And snails are terribly damaging to grape wines. Now, in many uh, wineries, they use an insecticide uh, in order to control the snails, usually metaldehyde. And uh, this winery is going the organic route, so they employ ducks. And um, a duck over a season eats several hundred snails so that they don't have to use the pesticides. And furthermore, uh, the duck droppings act as fertilizer. The only downside is that once the grapes mature, uh, you have to keep the ducks away from the grapes. Why? Because they would eat them. Anyway, you know, with uh, my sort of interest in ducks, uh, I will go out and look for uh, runner duck wine. I don't know if uh, we can find it in the uh, uh, Quebec liquor stores here. Uh, I'll I'll take a look. And it is indeed something I would like to add to my uh, duck collection. Okay, someone wanted to to know uh, how lab uh, produced diamonds are, are are made and why they're so expensive. Uh, well, diamonds are, are pure carbon. And uh, this is something that has been known since the late 1700s. And ever since then, there has been a lot of effort to try to convert carbon, uh, mostly in the form of graphite, into diamond. And um, over the years, many, many efforts have uh, were made. I mean, even, you know, uh, back in the 1800s, when the electric arc was first uh, developed. Uh, uh, Henry Moisson in France uh, tried to take some graphite and heat it up to a high temperature to see if it can be converted into diamond because they knew even back then that diamonds are formed deep within the ground uh, due to heat and, and pressure. Well, these days, that heat and pressure can indeed be mimicked in the lab and they can make synthetic diamonds. Now, most of the synthetic diamonds that they make are not of gem quality, but they're very good for cutting, using, used in cutting equipment. But they can also, with a great deal of care, uh, eliminating impurities and using extreme pressures, they can indeed create diamonds of uh, uh, quality that are like natural diamonds, because in a sense, they, they are the same thing. So we're not talking here about another stone that has the appearance of being uh, a diamond. These are real diamonds, but they are expensive. I mean, they're still not as expensive as, as diamonds that are dug from the ground, but they are expensive because you need a lot of equipment, the pressure, the temperature that is needed, the know-how, uh, but uh, they are able these days to produce very, very high quality uh synthetic diamonds. Now, the question is, uh, do you want to give that as an in an engagement ring? <laughs> My argument would be a diamond is a diamond. Uh, never mind whether it was mined from the ground or whether it was made in the lab. In fact, to me, uh, it is more valuable if it was made in the lab because that required a lot of uh, input and a lot of ingenuity. Uh, so I have no issue at all with the so-called synthetic uh, diamonds. All right. Uh, let me leave you with uh, another question because both of my questions have been answered. Uh, recent DNA analysis of Beethoven's hair 
indicated that he likely had contracted hepatitis B and died of liver failure. What was previously believed to have been the cause of the composer's death? So before this study came out showing that Beethoven likely died of hepatitis and liver failure, what was the belief? What was he supposed to have perished from? Give us a call, 514-790-800, or text to 514-800. Okay, but I also told you that I was going to talk about cholent. Well, cholent is a, a traditional Jewish dish, and it can be traced back to at least the ninth century. It was born out of the dedication to follow the Old Testament's edict of observing the Shabbat, that is Saturday, as a day of rest. And as a day of rest, it precludes any work, including cooking. So the idea was to assemble all the ingredients in a pot that was then brought to a local baker, and that had to be done before Shabbat, so it was before sundown on Friday. And the baker would place it in an oven where it would cook overnight, picked up the next day as uh, worshipers returned from synagogue so that they could then enjoy a family meal that was hot. Well, over the years, cholent became a popular dish, both among observant and non-observant Jews. And there are many variations of ingredients and many cooking methods that have been adopted. Now, I, um, I got used, when I was growing up, I got used to my mother's Hungarian version of cholent, which was more of a stew. And then uh, I tasted uh, my mother-in-law's uh, version, which was more of the baked-in-the-oven variety. Well, none of these ladies are with us anymore, but of course I, I think back with fondness on tasting both of their cholents. And uh, I would say uh, that my mother-in-law's in terms of taste did outrank my mother's. But back then when I was eating both of those, I had no idea about uh, advanced glycation end products, which today we refer to as AGEs. And these are substances that can accelerate aging. And if instead of taste, if the competition between my mother's and my mother-in-law's children had been about health, uh, I would say that uh, my mother's would have been declared the winner. Okay, well, what's the story here? Uh, what is, are these AGEs? We've got to go back to about 1912 when Louis Camille Maillard in France first described the reaction that occurs between simple sugar glucose and amino acids. And when these combine, they form an adduct that goes on to engage in a host of other chemical reactions that lead to a large variety of flavorful, aromatic, and colorful compounds which are largely responsible for the taste, smell, the appearance of baked bread, roasted coffee, cocoa, grilled steak, beer, and of course, cholent. Collectively, when it comes to cooking, these reactions are referred to as the Maillard reaction, paying homage to its first investigator. Uh, Louis Camille Maillard had a medical degree, but he actually preferred to, to practice chemistry and he studied this particular uh, reaction. Now, today we know that uh, uh, these AGEs 
can be a problem. They form in food, obviously, as I, I just mentioned, uh, but they can also form in the body because we, of course, are full of sugars in our bloodstream and uh, amino acids, both individual amino acids and amino acids that are part of, of, of proteins. And in fact, if any of you have ever had an A1C test for elevated glucose in, in the blood, that A1C is in fact an AGE. It's, an, uh, a, it's a, a byproduct of the Maillard uh, reaction because glucose reacts with an amino acid lysine in, in, uh, uh, in hemoglobin, which of course is the oxygen carrying uh, component of blood uh, in, in red blood cells. And uh, once uh, the glucose combines with the lysine, it stays there. So you can monitor the amount of, of uh, glucose in the blood by measuring how much of it was converted into this adduct with uh, hemoglobin. And because red blood cells turn over about every three months, you get an idea of, of uh, glucose levels. Now, unfortunately, uh, when you make... Uh, uh, when you cook foods at high temperature, uh, such as putting cholent into the oven, uh, you are going to form these AGEs. And uh, unfortunately, we have evidence from the laboratory, from animal studies, that this can be a problem. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Miracles from molecules are dawning every day. Discoveries for happiness in a fabulous array. All right, let me get back to my discussion of Cholent. Anyway, about these... Uh, advanced glycation end products. The first alarm was sounded back in 2002 when a couple of Swedish food chemists discovered the presence of a chemical called acrylamide. And that's an AGE. That's one of these advanced glycation end products. And they found it in French fries, potato chips, and biscuits. As you can imagine, that sent shockwaves to the food industry because eight years earlier, the International Agency for Research on Cancer had declared acrylamide to be a possible human carcinogen. Uh, now, the problem is that acrylamide forms in, in many foods, as I said, but it can also form within the body because we are, you know, we have lots of sugars and amino acids in, in, in our body. So there are lots of issues now about these so-called advanced glycation end products and what we can do uh, about them uh, because they're there. They're in our baked bread, our coffee, our cocoa, grilled steak, beer, and of course, in, our, in Cholent. Now, the, uh, the two versions of Cholent that I, I mentioned to you, my mother's and my mother-in-law's, uh, they, they, the components were very similar. They, they both had uh, different kinds of beans and then barley and onions and garlic and carrots, celery, uh, beef short ribs usually. Uh, both my mother and my mother-in-law used vegetable oil instead of the traditional schmaltz, which is chicken fat. And of course, lots of paprika. But the difference was that, that my mother slow cooked the cholent on the stovetop, which means that it simmered at 100 degrees, while my mother-in-law baked it in the oven, and that meant around 200 degrees Celsius, we're talking. 
the high temperature, of course, delivered more flavor. But unfortunately, I'm sure also more of these advanced glycation uh, end products. And, uh, you know, we're, we are indeed trying to cut down uh, on those. And there are ways to do that in, in the diet. Uh, for example, a baked potato has one-tenth as many of these as French fries. And uh, you can even cut down on, uh, you know, with French fries by pre-soaking them in water. That, that w cuts way down on the AGs that form. A broiled steak has three times as many of these as braised beef. Grilled chicken five times as much as poached. And a fried egg has 15 times as much as a scrambled egg. So, I mean, there's no, no question that a diet of, you know, vegetables, legumes, fruits, whole grains, and low-fat dairy and less meat will result in fewer circulating uh, AGEs. Okay, so back to my cholent. <clears throat> Which one do I make? Well, the fact is I make it so rarely that I really don't consider the, the health consequences. And I must admit that I do use my mother-in-law's recipe. I do, I do it in the oven at a higher temperature, basically because I like the, the taste. But on the other side of the corn, you know, I'm pretty careful. I, I don't eat burnt toast. I steam my vegetables. I kind of look askance at potato chips and, and cookies. And when it comes to chicken, instead of grilled chicken, I, I would rather make a slow-cooked chicken paprikash, obviously with lots of paprika in there. And uh, so, you know, the recipe there is usually, as many Hungarian recipes start, you start with a little bit of, uh, of oil, you grill onions until they're translucent, uh, you put in the chicken pieces, and really when you make chicken paprikash, it's, uh, it should be thighs and legs uh, because you need some fat in there, not, not the breast. Uh, you just brown the, them and then add green pepper, chopped chopped tomato, uh, salt, pepper, uh, turn down the heat, cook it slowly, uh, add the paprika, stir it once in a while, and uh, it comes out just great. And I think it has relatively few uh, AGEs. So there's my uh, view on, on, uh, on Cholent. And I must say that just talking about it now has made me hungry for, for it. So I just, maybe I will make uh, another batch. I haven't made it for, uh, for a long time. Okay, well, someone did have an answer to my question about the, uh, the, the uh, ducks. Uh, so that's good. And how they, uh, you know, are used to eat insects and snails. And also the, told me that uh, in Peru, uh, a visit to the winery uh, saw chickens for the same purpose. Chickens were running around the uh, uh, around the grapes. Uh, okay, and also a question: Can you absorb vitamin D from the sun through a window? Okay, let me first just make a, a correction on the the sort of the way the question is posed. Uh, vitamin D is not present in sunlight. Vitamin D is formed in the body when we are exposed to ultraviolet rays from the sun. So there's no content of vitamin D in, in sunlight. So the question is, does enough 
of the ultraviolet light penetrate windows to significantly trigger production of vitamin D in our body? And the answer to that is, is, is no. Uh, but you don't need to be outside very long to uh, stimulate vitamin D production, uh, just about 15 minutes, especially you know around midday, even in our climate here, that's enough in order to um, uh, stimulate vitamin D production. And I did have a question to my, an answer to my uh, Beethoven question as well. <clears throat> uh, indeed, recent DNA analysis uh, of Beethoven's hair indicated that he likely contracted hepatitis B and died of liver failure. Well, before, it was believed that the composer had died of lead poisoning. Uh, we know that uh, uh, through most of his adult life, Beethoven complained of abdominal pains. And when a sample of his hair uh, showed a high level of lead, the conclusion was that he, indeed he suffered from lead toxicity. But now DNA analysis has shown that the sample of hair that had the high level of lead was not authentic <laughs> because it came from a woman. And with DNA analysis, you can tell uh, relatively easily whether or not the sample comes from a male or from a female. However, there were five other samples that the researchers look like, looked at and those are known to be authentic because they can be traced back historically to Beethoven. Beethoven did give some samples of his hair to some of his friends, and a sample was also taken from his, from his head uh, when he passed away. And there's documentation to, to follow kind of, you know, the footsteps of those, those samples. So when they investigated the... Uh, these, by uh, genetic analysis, they were able to rule out celiac disease and lactose intolerance because both of those, of course, can possibly lead to gastric problems, which Beethoven constantly complained of. But the analysis also showed a predisposition to liver disease, and an analysis of the hair follicles revealed traces of hepatitis B virus. But once Beethoven died, uh, there was an autopsy carried out, and it showed that he had cirrhosis of the liver. And he was also known to be quite fond of wine. <laughs> so it was uh, liver disease, a uh, combination of uh, hepatitis B brought it on together with uh, alcohol. This is what uh, did in perhaps the most famous composer who ever lived. And the researchers also found surprisingly that Beethoven was likely the product of an extramarital affair by his mother. They were also able to determine that from analyzing the, the DNA. So uh, those are the fascinating aspects of science uh, that we've had a chance to discuss uh, today. And that's it. We have run out of time. But we will be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right.